Christmas special podcast. We decided to do something a little bit different for Christmas. So we're doing a guess who's coming to Christmas dinner. And on Facebook, we actually asked if anyone had any suggestions of who they would want to invite to a medieval Christmas dinner. We were expecting a response of about, I don't know, between five and ten suggestions and got over a hundred. Luckily, some of the suggestions could be discounted straight away because we had said medieval. So Henry VIII is out, Anne Boleyn is out and the other ten or fifteen Tudors who got suggested. As is Dante, Uther Pendragon and the Green Knight are legendary, so we thought we'd better not include those two. Edward V, well, no one can find him, so we decided we'd leave him out. Same with Francis Lovell, because he disappeared after the Battle of Stokefield and no one knows where he went. So we're down to about 90 options. So Derek and I decided we'd pick 10 each, if we've got time in the podcast, and go through them and see who we'd like to invite to dinner and why, so that we have a dinner table of about 10 guests and... Derek and I leading the conversation, hopefully. Let, let me say that we, we've had to get a bigger table because... <laughs> Definitely had to get a bigger table. Because it, it started off as a Christmas dinner and it's now a Christmas banquet. So, Derek, do you want to tell us who your first selection would be? OK, well, I'm going to get this guy out of the way at the start because... He was a popular suggestion. Richard III, <laughs> Richard Plantagenet, Richard III, call him what you like. I fought this all the way. And then at the last minute, I thought, well, he would have so much to tell everybody that maybe we should we should include him. I'm not sure he was a particularly witty character. So I think there might be times where he goes a bit quiet, particularly when, you know, people talk about the abduction of children or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he'd be an interesting character to have, I'd have thought. Do you think he might be a bit polarising, though? You know, you've got people on one side of the table going, I want to sit with Richard, I want to sit with Richard, and people on the other side going, don't let me anywhere near him. Yeah, he, he is a bit of a divisive character, isn't he? I don't know. I think he's a great figure in the in the period. I mean, I think to to leave someone of his stature, well, he's not that tall, but his stature out of the discussion would be would be a big loss. But I guess it depends who else is sort of forcing their way into the reckoning. Mm. Mm. I think Richard is one of the ones we're going to have to leave till the last to just see if we both still want him there because like I say polarizing and as you say it depends who else is there so who who would you suggest personally the one I definitely want there is Ethelfled the daughter of King Alfred the Great the sister of Edward the Elder 
and Lady of the Mercians. She's a heroine to everybody. She really should come to dinner and I'd love to have a word with her. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure. Do we know what sort of a person she actually was? I mean, it's all very well having a reputation. But when you sit down to dinner and she's sitting next to you and she's not got a word to say, it might be a bit difficult to tease things out of her, do you think? Well, because she's a woman, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle and all the other chronicles mention her as little as possible. She could be a very witty woman. She certainly has tales to tell, doesn't she? Besieging Derby and growing up with her dad in an escape to Athelney and all that. She'd certainly have enough to tell us about. Yeah, I mean, William of Malmesbury uh, describes her somewhat mysteriously as a woman of enlarged soul. I have no idea what that means, but it's a bit worrying if she's sitting next to you. Yeah, I don't know. She would probably be in, I think, just because of her unique position in the period. I mean, who else was there at the time uh, or in that whole Saxon period who, who ruled a substantial area of the country? I mean, a woman. Yeah, and as a woman who could command the respect that she did from her armies yeah. and her brother. Yes. I mean, her daughter couldn't. Her brother, whatever he did to her daughter, she disappeared from history very soon after her mum died. So she must have had something about her to actually be able to command that respect. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you've convinced me. Let, let's let's put Ethelfled in. Let, let's yes. have her as one one of our ten. I, I think we can we can agree on her. Now another one that I have a, I was going to say I have a personal connection with, but that's completely untrue. I've just lent on her tomb. That's all actually. So it's not much of a personal connection. Alice Chaucer was one of the people suggested. Ooh, Duchess yeah. of Suffolk, wife of uh, well the Duke of Suffolk, obviously, who was killed rather brutally in 1450, and she's a quite an interesting character. She's the granddaughter of Geoffrey Chaucer. And she, she must have some stories, surely. I mean, I don't think she ever met him, but it's in the blood, surely. She must have a few tales to tell. As long as she doesn't keep going on about the wife of Bath. She had a, quite a long, reasonably long life. She married several times. She was a big book person as well. You could have a conversation with her, I think. Yes, definitely. Uh, she's an educated woman. And very strong. Having said that, she wasn't very popular. She had her enemies. Strong women, just because they were strong women, they would have enemies, people who didn't like them yeah. or said nasty things about them just because they were capable of looking after themselves. That's true. I mean, she she was tried for treason at one point mm. and she survived that and ended up making a bit of a deal with Richard Duke of York. There was a marriage alliance there somewhere, I think. Yes. But she, I think she's a possible. Yeah, I definitely think she's one to have a look at, see where we go. She's certainly somebody I'd be interested in having a chat with. We want to even up the, the, the sexes, don't we? We don't want a whole table of men or women, so... Yeah, we can't have women all the time. No. What I thought of, and got a lot of suggestions, which I was surprised at because I didn't think people were thinking that far back, was the Venerable Bede. And at first I'm like thinking, yes, Bede. I mean, that bloke, he wrote stor the stories down. He wrote the history. He must have some stories to tell. And then I thought, but he had that thing where he actually told somebody that he could write them out of history if he wanted to. And I wonder, do we really want somebody who's actually selective in the history he writes? Yeah, that's a bit mysterious, really, isn't it? Uh, I mean, he's gone down, in my estimation, immediately. But didn't Bede sort of collate a lot of existing histories? If you're selective in what you're picking out as history, 
You're not really a proper historian, surely. I'm not sure about Bede. He sounds a bit of the, the sort of person who, if you're sitting next to him at dinner, he'd be a bit of a bore. Yeah, I think I talked myself out of him, actually. He'd be going on about this, that and the other and very, very opinionated. Are we going to reject him then? Yeah, I'm rejecting Bede. Bede has been rejected. Maybe the first time Bede has ever been rejected. Get used to it, venerable Bede. Okay, now, here's a good one, I think. One of the suggestions was Matthew Paris. Yeah, I know. In case anybody doesn't know who Matthew Paris is, and I'm sure everybody does, but if you don't, he was a Benedictine monk and chronicler in the 13th century. And he he has bequeathed to us not only uh, a chronicle, but also quite a lot of maps, itinerary maps, which obviously for the time period we're talking about, 13th century, is very rare. So I think he would have a lot to contribute. He's he's not just a really interesting thing about him. I thought, well, he's a monk. He's going to be closeted away. I think he was at St. Albans. And that's all he'll know. He'll just have a very limited horizon, a very limited world. But actually, he spent a year in Norway at another monastery. So he must have travelled to get there. He didn't just drop in. So he, he would have had more experience of the of the world than I initially thought. So I think he'd have some great stories to tell. He was also pretty forthright. He didn't mince words. A man of strong opinions. So I think I think he might he might be quite an interesting person to have, and and a, a, someone who wasn't a politician would be quite good. Yeah, he had some very powerful patrons as well. One of his patrons was Isabel de Warren, who was Countess Farrandel. He is the one who tells the story of Isabel telling off Henry III for stealing some of her land and asking Henry where are the liberties of England when he'd stolen her land. And Henry eventually said that Isabel could have her land back so long as she didn't tell him off anymore. And it's uh, Matthew Paris who tells that story. Yeah, I, th- I think he, he would have a lot to offer at, at the dinner table. Yeah, definitely. And he's I'm sure he'd have a pretty inquiring mind, so he would keep the conversation going probably as well. Are we agreed on him or...? Now, Matthew Paris is a definite. He's a definite, right. So we've got two definites so far. I think. Ethel Fled and Matthew Paris. I'm not sure those two have a lot in common, so uh, we might need some bridges between them. So who who else have you have you got? William the Conqueror. William the Conqueror. He would be fascinating, you know, to have a word with him and say, did you really like the English or did you just want to conquer us? What did you really do in the harrying of the North? Yeah, isn't he quite an unpleasant sort of person? We've got to have a bit of variety. Well, he can sit next to you. I'm not having him next to me. <laughs> William the Conqueror, yeah, I don't know. I'm prepared to consider it because he is a very important person, but I think I'm not sure I want to go definitely for him at the moment. I just think he'd have some great stories. And also, you know, you can ask him, was it true that in order to wound Matilda of Flanders, you pulled her off her horse and pulled her pigtails and kicked her in the mud? I'm pretty sure that isn't true, actually. Yeah, that's the sort of story he's going to have. He's going to have very unpleasant stories, isn't he? Probably. I'm not sure about him. I think he's a bit of a so-and-so. So a question mark at the minute, then. <laughs> Wasn't he called William the Bastard? Yes, but that was because he was illegitimate, not because, no, his mum and dad never married. Oh, was it? Oh, I see. You know, I thought he was called William the Bastard for other reasons. But fair enough. OK, a technical, technical point. But I think some people do call him <laughs> the Bastard because of the other reason as well. Though. I can see why. 
Shouldn't you have to wonder, does he have hang-ups because of that? I'm not spending my Christmas <laughs> dinner psychoanalyzing William the Conqueror. He either gets in on merit or not at all. You're a spoiled sport, Dave. Well, to be honest, if he turned around and said, I'm coming, I'm not arguing with him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah. Let's not send him an invite in case he gets wind of it. Now, I'm a Yorkshire lass, to be honest. There are things about him that we don't like. Yeah, harrying of the North. That's a good enough reason for not, not having him, really. OK, so William the Conqueror is a no. OK, so, so far we have Ethel Fled. And Matthew Paris. We're whittling this down pretty well, actually. Richard III was possible, was he? Alice Chaucer and Richard III. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting, I mean, at least we've got Ethel Fled and Matthew Paris. So we have got a dinner party. That's true. I've got a cracker. This woman has got to be there. Jane Shaw. She's got to be there. Oh, yes. In case anyone doesn't know who Jane Shaw was, uh, her real name was Elizabeth Lambert, and she became well-known, shall we say, well-liked and well-known during the 15th century when she was uh, one of the mistresses of Edward IV. She was married to somebody else, but, uh, well, Mr Lambert, John Lambert, I think it was. She was the mistress of Edward IV. She also, shall we say, gave her favours to several other courtiers, we think. Yeah, William Hastings was one, wasn't he? William Hastings, yeah. And uh, she was she was extreme, let's say she was extremely popular. <laughs> Except with Richard III. Ah, yes. Because didn't he make her do penance? He did. Did she wander through the street? Yeah, in her shift and barefoot and carrying a candle. Yeah, wasn't that the inspiration for the Game of Thrones scene where uh, Cersei Lannister is made to walk through the streets? I think it might have been. Yeah. But I mean, it's a great, it's a great scene. It's a great image. Well, she actually divorced. Her husband for impotence. That's right. Yes, yes. And the idea of actually in those days being taking him to court and actually obtaining a divorce for impotence. Because I think he was an alderman, wasn't he? I think he was an alderman in London. Mm. So he was quite an important person. I guess, therefore, we can't really have both Richard III and Jane Shaw at this dinner table. He's going to be very disapproving. Well, it would go with my polarising argument, wouldn't it? Because you'd have Jane Shaw at one side of the table and Richard III on the other. Well, we don't want one side of the table actually throwing food at the other side of the table, do we? But she would have some cracking stories to tell, wouldn't she? I mean, if we got her to tell all, we'd be listening to her all evening. Oh yes. And apparently, she had she had a very she had a sparkling personality. She was witty and intelligent. So yeah, and she was a nurse. So many secrets. Yeah, so I'm a strong advocate of Jane Shaw, but I realise that if we put Jane Shaw in, Richard's probably out. Now, there are, there are probably many people who would disagree with that decision. Yeah, I think there are, but I've been trying to find actually one Jane Shaw and just say, what did Edward tell you? Did he marry Eleanor Butler first? <laughs> yeah. Did he want Richard to yeah. become protector? He's got to know it all, hasn't she? He's got to have all the secrets. She has, hasn't she? I mean, pillow talk is the best. She lived a fair while after the events in which she was very much involved, didn't she? And she married who? She married a jailer or something in, in the end, didn't she? Yeah. And she was well spoken of by, by lots. I think Thomas More, who didn't speak well of everybody, I think he was quite generous in, in how he talked about her, if I remember rightly. But yeah, she was very popular with men. Not sure about women. <laughs> No, I think some women probably, Elizabeth Woodville probably didn't like her as daughters. Shall we have Jane Shaw? 
Yeah, let's let's put her in. That gives us three. Otherwise, we're going to be here all night. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> right. My next choice is Robert the Bruce. I think he's the only Scot we've got as an option. Oh God, to just talk to Robert the Bruce. He's he's my favourite Scottish king. There is that question mark over his discussion with John Carmen in the church at Dumfries and whether or not he murdered him or it was a fight. He's got a bit of a murky background at times. He, he has got a bit of a murky background because he was on Edward the first side at first and then he decided that he'd make a play for the crown. But then he, he really had to fight to get his crown and to keep it. And then he had that massive victory at Bannockburn. But he still didn't get peace with England until something like 1328. His wife and daughter were captured by the English and held in prison for something like eight years. When he needed to have an heir, his wife was in prison in England. For quite a while, wasn't she? Yeah. It took a lot for him to actually succeed. You know, he had a lot of family tragedy and a lot of people would have been put off by that, but he just carried on fighting. One thing we could nail if we if we invited him is this story about the spider, is this true? <laughs> because I'd like to know. Yeah, so would I. I doubt it. You don't think so? No, I think it's one of those allegorical ones, isn't it? Like with King Alfred and burning the cakes. I think it might it's be. teaching him patience and to build up his um, victories until he gets the big victory at Bannockburn. Yeah. I suppose so. It's all a bit of a bit of a myth. Well, what do you think about Robert the Bruce then? Do you think he's a definite or a possible? Well, I I have a soft spot for Robert the Bruce. Go on then. We we could do with we could do with another man. Yeah, that's true as well. Okay, so Robert the Bruce goes in. Mm -hmm. It's also to show a bit of support for Scottish independence as well. Yeah, exactly. Politically correct decision. So we've got Ethelfled. We've got. Uh, Matthew Paris, Jane Shaw and Robert the Bruce, who are definite. Yeah, and Richard III is a definite no now because we've got Jane Shaw. Yeah, that's true. Richard III, I, I'm very sorry to say. All fans of Richard III is out, I'm afraid. Okay, so, funnily enough, I've got these two women. Well, I haven't got these two women, but there are two women I came up with who were on the list amongst these billions of suggestions we were given. One is Cecily Neville and the other is Elizabeth Woodville. Mm. Now, Elizabeth Woodville has been vilified a lot over the years. And the thing about Elizabeth Woodville is she was kind of the perfect foil for Edward IV. She was kind of the perfect queen. She had a lot of children, so perfect queen. She'd, she'd been pretty brave when she was a widow before she married uh, Edward, and she, she'd taken her chance, as it were, and rumour has it that she, she snared him into marriage. But however that happened, from her point of view, she, she took her chance and she, she did her best for her, her the children children she had with Grey. So I think she's got a lot about her. I think she was uh, quite courageous. My only doubt about her, and, and this is this is largely due to lack of information, I think, is, is what her personality was like. We could ask her daughters who were shut up in sanctuary with her for a while. Uh, they'd tell us a lot about her personality, but unfortunately we haven't got them here either. You can't help thinking that the negative press of Elizabeth is from jealousy of the fact that she did marry a kid 
thing, and she did take her destiny into her, her own hands. Yeah, I mean, Edward IV was a huge catch, wasn't he? He was the man in 1461. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was only, what, barely 19, and uh, the world at his feet, tall, handsome, etc., etc. I mean, it's rather like what happens when Paul McCartney gets married, and all the all the women are out coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, no, God, mm. look at who he's married, goodness me, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think it, there's a bit of there's a bit of envy there. You also get the, oh, he should have married a foreign princess. Who, Paul McCartney? No, Edward the Fourth. Oh, Edward the Fourth, yeah. Foreign princesses didn't actually get a better reception than an English woman marrying a king. You know, Margaret of Anjou was vilified by everyone because she was a foreigner. <laughs> Same with Isabella of France, who married Edward II. Yeah. It wasn't a walk in the park for anyone to marry an English king. Nobody was going to be good enough. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, that's ironic in a way, isn't it? Because Margaret of Anjou was such a bitter enemy of the Yorkists. Yes. But yeah, so so Elizabeth Woodville, my only fear at the dinner table would be that she might be a bit inclined to dominate. And what about Jane Shaw? Would she get on with her or would she just ignore her completely? <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good point. So, yeah, wife and mistress at the same table, I don't think so. I hadn't thought that through very well. <laughs> There'd be a few sparks flying back. It would be interesting. It would be. And they might both turn against Edward IV. You never know and become best friends. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I'm not sure about that at all. I, I have a suspicion that uh, Elizabeth Woodville's opinion of Jane Shaw was closer to Richard III's opinion than Edward IV's. Yeah. But maybe not, you know, who knows? Shall we leave her to the end and have a swing? Yeah, OK, Elizabeth Woodville's possible. Yeah. The other one I had, I'm a bit more inclined to say she might be a good choice, is Cecily Neville, because she she had everything as well. She was kind of an A-list celebrity in the 15th century. Her children were duchesses and dukes. Her, she was married to the Richard Duke of York, of course. She, she came from an enormous family, Neville family. She had a lot of children herself, 12 children she had, five of whom I noticed. Five of her children died very young. But it's something, you know, it's quite an amazing thing that these, these noble women, and I guess it was probably true for women who weren't noble women, but, you know, she has 12 children. It's her part of her job, if you like, is to have heirs for her husband. But so many of them died young. Yeah, it must have been hard to take. Yeah, I mean, they're human beings. And we think, oh, OK, yeah, so five of her children died. But there's a human side to that at the time for her and perhaps her, her husband as well. Yeah. The other thing that's quite interesting about her is she was at the heart of well decades of, of politics and, and developments in, in England. Sometimes people suggest she was the power behind the York brothers, Richard III, Clarence and uh, and Edward IV. Wasn't she close to Margaret of Anjou at one stage? Didn't she travel over to England with her or something when Margaret came over to marry Henry VI? Yeah, funnily enough, Alice Chaucer also was with Margaret of Anjou on that occasion. And I think all three of them 
them were together. Cecily Neville was obviously um, with her husband in France at times because he was he was responsible at one point for for fighting the English uh, the English war against France. I don't think there was a great deal of love there, but I think there was some sympathy from Cecily Neville towards yeah. Mar- Margaret of Anjou, who was a young fifteen year old girl plunged into chaos, really political chaos in England. But uh, C- Cecily was also she was known as proud sis, which suggests a certain pride, a certain arrogance, perhaps. And and it's said also that she had a pretty good temper, mm. that she could argue with the best of them. We might be in danger of creating a little group of women who are going to dominate the conversation and perhaps even fall out. Yeah, but what a conversation. It, yeah, if I'm Robert the Bruce, I might be thinking, what am I doing here? I can't get a word in Edgeworth. Matthew Paris had just been writing it all down. What was that? What was that? He'd be like a sponge, he would. He'd be writing it all down, rubbing his hands with glee, thinking, yeah, there's another few chapters of my chronicle. <laughs> yeah, okay. So are we undecided about both of those, Elizabeth Woodville and Cecily Neville, or do we want to reject one of them? I don't want to reject either of them. I think Elizabeth Woodville probably will have to be rejected, seen as we've got Jane Shaw. Yeah, I think that's a good reason for doing it, isn't it? Sorry, Elizabeth, I think you're going to have to go. How would Cecily be with Jane Shaw? Well, I mean, she knew her, her eldest son pretty well. Yeah. They'd have something to talk about. Wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so Elizabeth Woodville's out. Cecily Neville is a question mark. Is that fair? Yep, that's fair enough for now. Cecily's a possible. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, okay. So hit me with another suggestion of yours. Okay, mine, I mean, I have to because I've been writing about her for so long. Nicola de la Haye. Never heard of her. <laughs> I've got to put her forward as a possible. My main guest sort of thing, it would be like this woman held Lincoln Castle in three sieges, undefeated, was a friend of King John, so I wouldn't mind having a word with her and asking her how come she stayed friendly with King John when nobody else did. Are we really going to invite a friend of King John? I mean, I know John killed his nephew, but they were mitigating circumstances. Mitigating circumstances? Well, did rebel against him and then try and kidnap his grandmother. Yeah, I don't know. What was Nicola like over the meal table? I mean, is she is she a sort of past the sprouts person? I think given that she was survived a seven month siege, I think she'd probably make sure we all got our fair share. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, and she she would probably help organise the banquet. She's probably pretty good at organising meals and getting everything because she managed a castle, you know, and defended a castle. So everything would be in the right place. Well, I know that if I argue against Nicola de Hay, you're not going to speak to me again. So <laughs> I think we'll. Have have to have to include Nicola de Hay. So Nicola's a definite. Yay! Nicola's a definite only because uh, I don't want to fall out with you. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we're halfway there. We've got five definites. Yeah, we're doing better than I expected. I've forgotten who they are. We've got Matthew Paris, Jane Shaw, Robert the Bruce, Ethel Fled. Nicola de la Hay and Ethel Fled. Yeah, okay. You see, Nicola de la Hay and Ethel Fled could have got a discussion about how military tactics changed from the 9th century to the 13th century, which would be interesting because it'd be two women there discussing it and Robert the Bruce sat watching it going, oh. What do you know about it, he'd be saying? So we're halfway there. Mm-hmm. 
Who else have you got? Well, I'm humming and ahhing between Perkin Warbeck and Lambert Simnel. Ah, oh, two imaginary characters. <laughs> <laughs> Lambert Simnel, probably not so much because he was only 10. Yeah, La- Lambert Simnel, really. I mean, you might as well invite, invite a doorpost. I mean, he'd, he'd have, he'd, he wouldn't be able to contribute, would he? Perkin Warbeck. There's still this question mark over was he or wasn't he Richard Duke of York? And I'm pretty sure he wasn't, but there's still that niggling thing in the back of the mind where surely not every pretender is actually a false pretender. and Maybe he was the real thing. No, he wasn't. Perkin Warbeck was Perkin Warbeck. He might have been other people as well. I don't believe that he was <laughs> who he claimed to be. I know I've, I've probably annoyed a lot of people if I say that. But anyway, he, he certainly led a fairly interesting life. Mm. I suppose, just in case anybody doesn't know who put Perkin Warbeck was he was Flemish was he yeah he presented himself as Richard Duke of York yeah Richard Duke of York the younger son of Edward King Edward the fourth I mean he must have been pretty convincing though because the Spanish court Margaret of York the Duchess of Burgundy and the King of Scots all supported him although you do have to remember that the King of Scots would do anything to disrupt England and Margaret of York would do anything to disrupt Henry the seventh people always say well if Margaret of York thought that Perkin Warbeck was really her nephew Richard Duke of York she would know surely because he was her nephew she she would have seen him but I don't think she ever did see him if she did see him he would have been very small and therefore she didn't know much more about Richard Duke of York than anyone else on the planet and not many people on the planet knew anything anyway no and it's not like she would have had family photographs to refer to <laughs> no no the Christmas video but but I mean Perkin Warbeck is no doubt he did make a bit of an impact not a lasting impact perhaps but he was a th- Thorn in Henry Tudor's side for a while and made a number of uh, attempts to uh, to invade. Let's let's put it this way: if he was an imposter, let's, for argument's sake, assume that he was an imposter. On the one hand, he would be quite interesting from the point of view of he'd been able to sustain this this fiction for a long time mm. and convince people that he was this person. So so on that level, he'd be really interesting. But if you look at it from the reverse situation, if he really was Richard Duke of York, he'd be even more interesting because he would have fascinating tales to tell of how he'd escaped from the tower and and so on and so forth. Do you know, I started off thinking there's no way we should have Perkin Warbeck as a guest, but I'm sort of convincing myself that maybe he would actually be a really interesting one. Yeah. Well, do we want to put him in then? Or are we leaving him as a possible? Should we leave him as a possible for now? Leave him as a possible. And what's our gender balance? looking like the definites we've got we've got three women and two men yeah five definites and three possibles alice chaucer cecily neville and perkin warbeck okay i've got a i've got a man for you well not specifically for you what tyler 14th century peasants revolt he's the leader of it obviously that's his claim to fame we don't know a lot about him as soon as you read in the history books that somebody came either from essex or kent (laughs) you know that we don't know much about him because they're both quite big places yeah Probably Kent, I should think, but but that's that's the sort of area we're talking about. Now he's quite quite a revolutionary figure in his beliefs at the time. He has a bit of shady shady background, but <laughs> one thing which it suggested he was involved in was that he he did a jailbreak. He broke out of jail a 
chap called John Ball. Mm. He was a Lollard before there were Lollards. He was a priest who had views that were not the same as the established Catholic Church. He was questioning some of the beliefs of the Catholic Church. Was he the one who had that saying when Adam delved an Eve's span, who was then the gentleman? It might well have been him. Yeah, it's one of those things I've had in my head for donkey's years. Yeah, you want to have that surgically removed. And I don't even know what it means, but it's always referred to John Ball. <laughs> Perhaps we should be inviting John Ball, uh, but he might be rather a destructive presence. He wouldn't shut up apart from anything else. He made a lot of noise in every respect. So what Tyler breaks him out of jail, now that in itself is quite a brave thing to do. <laughs> Because uh, John Ball is regarded by the authorities, by the church, by the government as somewhat as a rebel, as someone to be uh, suppressed or at the very least, if if not done away with. So John Ball has a big effect on the, the peasants' revolt, which many people will know was a revolt in response to uh, a poll tax, a tax on every individual, adult individual in, uh, in England, which was introduced in uh, the early 30s. 80s uh, that were in King Richard II's reign. Richard II was was very young still. He was uh, he was in his teens. Yeah, he was. He was only 13, I think, at the time of the Peasants' Revolt, wasn't he? Something like that, yes, around 13. He he was quite brave as well, actually. But uh, anyway, the, the peasants then gather, and uh, the, this is a serious force. This is a serious revolt. It's a, it's a big peasant uprising, lower-class uprising, one of the biggest events of the Middle Ages. And it threatens the monarchy, it threatens the, the fabric of society and government as it was known. Known at the time. And it's about a generation after the Black Death. I mean, the Black Death is still around then, but but it's about a generation after the after the impact of the Black Death, which killed so many people. And so this is a this is a time of great flux, of great change, of great desire for change, and a situation where both governments and people are, are sort of reacting to seismic changes in, in their lives. The Peasants' Revolt was a big thing, and what Tyler is the kind of uh, the spokesman of that whole revolt, although I'm sure he didn't know most people who were involved in it. But a brave man, then. A brave man who comes to a fairly sticky end, I think it'd be fair to say. He faces the king and the king's men with, with thousands of, of rebels uh, on the outskirts of South London, and he presents the, the rebels' case to the king. While he's doing that, he is attacked by one of the king's men mm. and uh, a scuffle ensues, well a scuffle with swords which is I guess a bit more of a serious scuffle than, than fisticuffs and what Tyler is is seriously injured he gets cut about the neck and head and so on. So his, his his mates, his friends, other members of the revolt, take him off to try and get a surgeon to, to look at him. But the king's men, they're very keen to make sure that what Tyler doesn't make it. And they pursue <laughs> the people taking what Tyler away and track him down and then behead him. So to make, just to make absolutely certain that this leader of the rebels is not going to get uh, what he wants and not even going to survive. So that's the 1381. So what Tyler would have a very different perspective on the medieval period from anybody else we've, we've talked about so far. That's not to say that he'd be great to talk to. 
<laughs> so I mean, I think he's different. He's 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 interesting from that point of view. Mm. He might be a bit argumentative. Yeah, I can imagine him being a little bit irritated at everybody else being more noble and refined than he is. <laughs> Compared to all the others, he comes from a, a lower class. I mean, he's he's called Wat Tyler, but there's no actual evidence that that was his name at the time. So uh, he is very different from all the others in his origins and uh, what he's involved in. But if he was a good conversationalist, he would be an interesting dynamic at the dinner table. I think we'd have to check for weapons before we let him in, though. It's OK. We've got Robert the Bruce and Ethel fled there. I think we'd be safe. I think we'd better check Robert the Bruce for weapons as well. Oh, that's true. We're all right as long as we're not in a church. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd better have a no-sharp... Actually, should we use plastic cutlery? <laughs> They're medievalists. They don't know what cutlery is anyway. <laughs> they know what knives are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think we need to get some blunt knives for this this occasion. They can tear the meat apart with their bare hands. Mm. So is he a possible? I think he's definite because he'd mix it up a bit. He would, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would mix it up a bit. Yeah. And if he becomes a nuisance, we could just get Robert the Bruce to kill him because he's used to that. He's used to being killed. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we've got six. We've got three men. We've got three women. So who's next? Okay, I think seeing as we've got... A Fair few martial people there. I was thinking of Julian of Norwich. He's a good guy. She. <laughs> I was just pretending to be an idiot there. It doesn't take much effort on my part. <laughs> the saintly Julian who told everybody, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. So, so just in case Robert the Bruce and what Tyler do get into it, we've got, we'd have Julian of Norwich there calming everybody down and telling them everything's going to be all right. Okay, so for the benefit of anybody like me who doesn't know much about Julian of Norwich, I have heard of Julian of, Nor of Norwich, but what's her claim to fame? She was an anchoress in Norwich. And we don't even know if Julian's her actual name. It might be that she was named after the church. There's a church in Norwich called St. Julian's. So we don't know if Julian was her actual name or she adopted it as her name. She could have been called Doris. Yeah, she could have been called anything. She wrote this book called Revelations of Divine Love. And like I said, there's this saying that comes from that, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And it's just one of those calming sayings. And she was a contemporary of Marjorie Kemp. What period are we talking about? When was Julian around? Julian was late 1300s, early 1400s, and Marjorie Kemp was the first half of the 15th century. Marjorie Kemp knew um, Cecily Neville's mum. Right, okay. I'm not including Marjorie Kemp because she had this habit of bursting into uncontrollable tears. Oh, we don't want that. Exactly. That could really put a dampener on the dinner table. Yeah, I think if she did that, Jane Shaw would probably just give her a slap anyway. But uh... I think I'd give her a slap. <laughs> Let's have no abuse here. Okay. And and Julian of Norwich will be saying, all shall be well. <laughs> yeah, calm down. It's all going to be all right. Sorry, you were telling me what she did. Yeah, so she was this anchoress in a church. What it was, an anchoress, you were basically dead to the world. You even had a funeral when you decided to be an anchoress, where you had funeral rites in the church, and then you were put in this little, basically a cell that's attached to the church, where you have a little window for people to pass things through to you. Uh, you could have a servant to look after your needs, you know, like wash your clothes and things like that, and a cat to chase the rats and the mice. So basically, otherwise, you were in there to contemplate for the rest of your life. You just lived in the church, in this little room in the church, and you could watch the services, but you were apart from the world so that you could contemplate God. 
Revelations of Divine Love was written at the time and then it was forgotten about. You've got this wonderful um, visions that she'd written down of her relationship with God. It's just also very calming and, you know, it's just like positive. Let me get this straight. You're suggesting that we invite somebody who was basically walled up in a small room with Dave the cat and who who we don't even know what she was called she didn't did she talk to anybody yeah people used to visit her she wasn't allowed to teach because that was the thing with women weren't allowed to teach in those days but she had visitors people were allowed to visit her and um interact with her and talk to her through this little window <laughs> so do we need to have a window put in if she, if we invite her so that she can talk to people through the way we need to sort of hold a window up and there's plastic screens that were everywhere during covid plastic screens <laughs> you're gonna say no aren't you um, <laughs> i just can't quite envisage how she's going to interact with people but um mm. i'm prepared to put her as a question mark she's interesting okay the question mark for now there's not much of a wow factor with Julian is there really I'm sure she was great in a limited way have I just sort of totally dissed her there sorry but she'd be all right about it she goes all right calm down <laughs> I'd need more convincing I think later on we're going to get to an either or aren't we where we have to we have to whittle it down so maybe compared to somebody else she might be a great idea that may be a safe bet compared to uh one of the more challenging personalities mm. okay who else have you who else have we got the, the I was going to say the elephant in the room, but um, Eleanor of Aquitaine <laughs> is a is a popular suggestion and a name on everyone's lips as far as the Middle Ages is concerned. She's a very popular figure historically, isn't she? Yeah, I think she was the most popular suggestion out of them all. Yeah, let's think then of reasons why we should have Eleanor of Aquitaine. She's, I guess, she's there's a force of personality there, isn't there? She, she's she's a strong person. Oh, definitely, and the stories she could tell. Yeah, that's true. Of the French court as well as the English court. Yeah, I mean, there was the fact that she was imprisoned for fifteen years, so she might not have known everything that was going on. But I'm pretty sure she made sure that she was kept in up to date with what was happening with her sons and daughters yeah she could swap notes with julian of norwich about being in a small room perhaps yeah i don't suppose her room was that small no she tended to she was imprisoned in castles and rather than a little room in a church but she went on crusade you know and she traveled over the pyrenees in the middle of winter when she was in her 80s there's a lot about her which is which is uh which is impressive but would she not be a bit dominating in in conversation i mean she'd seen it all she'd done it all everybody else was kind of small fry compared to her weren't they Ethel Fled would probably would probably give her a run for her money, wouldn't she? But crikey, we're going to have a room full of quite strong women, aren't we? <laughs> but I guess, I guess, isn't that really what the medieval period throws up? Is is the only women we know much about are those who put their heads above the parapet and yes. and try to to be dominant in a world of men. So they're bound to be strong personalities, really. Exactly. And could we actually have a medieval dinner party without inviting Eleanor of Aquitaine? Because I am not going to be the one to tell her she's not invited. That's a very good point. No, OK, I agree with you. She's a, she's a staple. Isn't it? I mean, everybody wanted her on the list. Are we going to make her our seventh definite? 
Yep, she's a definite. Okay, so we've got four women and three men, I think. I wanted to suggest Empress Matilda, but that's another woman. And we sort of could do with another bloke, couldn't we? Also, I'm not sure about Matilda's personality, really. I think she might be worse than uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine in terms of being a bit domineering. And can you imagine if Robert the Bruce didn't stand up quick enough when she walked in the room? Oh, he'd he'd be toast. He'd be... uh... Yeah. He'd be gone. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure. I don't think we should consider her, even though she is a very important woman at, at the time. There is, I hadn't originally thought of this man, but I wonder whether Henry V should be considered because of the impact he made overall. I mean, he, he his reign was relatively short, but his legacy, uh, I mean, we're still talking about his his victories and uh and and the legacy of course which wasn't wasn't all good of his young young son henry the sixth but he was he was a major figure at the time wasn't he yeah we sometimes forget that he was also prince henry when his father henry the fourth was hard up against it against Henry Hotspur and Northumberland and so on at the Battle of Shrewsbury in the early part of the 15th century, right at the beginning. So here is someone who had contributed a considerable amount to the stability of of what was then the the Lancastrian government. Mm. And he suffered an arrow wound to his face, didn't he? Every time I read about that, I'm astonished how they managed to get the blooming thing out. Yeah. Uh, it just shows you that uh, we've said this before. I think when we were talking to Ben Kane, we said how the, the medical techniques, whilst they don't rival modern medicine, they were suitable for the kinds of injuries that somebody might have, particularly somebody important. And they were pretty good at dealing with a lot of these things. Yeah, if infection had have set in, then he'd have been done for. Yeah, yeah. The fact they managed to prevent infection with that arrow wound is incredible. He does remind me a little of Richard the because neither of them seemed that interested in their wives. You know, I mean, to be fair, Henry V at least did get Catherine of Valois pregnant, but he never saw his son, did he? He was nine months old, I think, when his dad died. I was just thinking Henry V would balance the dinner table a bit yeah. because we've got these strong personalities among the women, particularly. We've got Matthew Paris, who's not necessarily as yeah. he is. I think he's quite a strong personality, but he might be a bit daunted in the company we've got there. But Henry V might actually be something of a balance. Should we put him as a question mark? But do you think the ladies might all swoon because it's, oh my God, it's Henry V? (laughs) They'll be serving wenches, falling like flies. I mean, Jane Shaw, you wouldn't be able to stop Jane Shaw. I don't know. I think Jane Shaw was... Yeah, you're probably right. Let's put him as a question mark. He's a possible then. I'd say he's a definite. He's a definite. Wow. Okay, so that gives us eight definites. So to recap, we've got Ethelfled, we've got Matthew Paris, Jane Shaw, Robert the Bruce, Nicola de Hay, Watt Tyler, Eleanor of Aquitaine and Henry V. Crikey. I think I might be ill that day. (laughs) You're not leaving me on my own with these Okay, so is there anybody else we want to suggest that we haven't talked about? No, I think we need to go through the possibles and pick two out of those four to actually um, complete the dinner guest. So Julian of Norwich was a possible. Yeah. Perkin of Perkin of Warbeck. Perkin Warbeck was a possible. Cecily Neville was a possible. Yeah, and Alice Chaucer. Alice Chaucer. Anybody else? No, because we've ruled out Richard III and Elizabeth Woodville because Jane Shaw's there. Among the possibles, we've only got... Are they, are they all women? No, Perkin Warbeck's a bloke, I think. Perkin Warbeck. We've only got one man, though. Perkin Warbeck. Does he go in by default? 
So he goes in because he's a bloke. <laughs> he's a token man. Number nine, Perkin Warbeck, then. He's in. Yeah. Well, we're going to choose a woman now. Yeah. And the choice is between, let me just recap for anyone who's totally lost the plot, including me. Yeah. Cecily Neville, Julian of Norwich. Yeah. Alice Chaucer. Three of them. Yep, that's the three. Okay. Blimey. <laughs> I'm still voting for Julian of Norwich because I think we might need the calming influence at this table. <laughs> Is it between Cecily and Julian of Norwich? I'm rejecting Cecily Neville, I think, because of her pride and temper and, and general demeanour, which I think might well be uh, a duchess too far. I wouldn't mind seeing how she responds to Jane Shaw, because I think she could be quite witty in her um, responses to Jane Shaw. Yeah. You think she might be a bit aloof, though? Um, possibly, but I don't know. I mean, people called her proud sis. I think that might have just been jealousy because she was the wife of Richard Duke of York and she had as much royal blood in her as everyone else did as well she actually had a right to be proud well uh, are we going to reject Alice Chaucer then? she's an interesting character in herself isn't she because she's a very interesting character yeah she lost her husband to political maneuverings she had to make alliances with the Yorkists to protect herself and her son she had to be a really clever woman yeah, I mean, an interesting thing, she and her husband uh, set up something called God's House, which is was an arms house for people in, in Ewelm in Oxfordshire. Now, I mentioned earlier on that I'd uh, lent on her tomb. Well, her tomb is actually at uh, the church, I think it's St Mary's Church in Ewelm, which is right next to the almshouses. And they're still lived in today. People uh, live in the, the little uh, cottages there. It's all in a sort of kind of like a cloister type mm. arrangement but uh, and her tomb is is in the church next to it there yeah. so she she had a legacy of sorts which she could perhaps be proud of um she commissioned an awful lot of books she she was very into literacy and, and books mm. so yeah i mean she's got a lot to, she's got a lot to offer then you also have cecily knew everybody yeah you know she's got all her children's goings on her family were her brothers and sisters were both sides of the wars of the roses yeah are we saying we need a bigger table <laughs> we could shift the places down a bit Cecily could keep the conversation going if nobody else had anything to say she would be able to have a story yeah i, th I think quite a few people could do that <laughs> yeah. i think jane shaw could do that oh god yeah that's true and eleanor of aquitaine okay i'm gonna go for alice chaucer what happened to julian of norwich i think she'd probably sit quietly going calm down yeah i don't think she'd want to get involved in the conversation with these big hitters thinking about it well what we could do is we could have a video of julian of norwich saying calm down which we just show every now and then <laughs> yeah. that, that, that would take, take care of that yeah okay so is it a shootout between alice chaucer duchess of suffolk and cecily neville duchess of york yes i have no clue which one i give up <laughs> Eeny, <meeny. laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, they both have very similar kinds of, of roles, don't they, really? They, they both perform the same sort of role, in a way. Mm. They were wives of important men, but then they were also important women and trusted women in their own right. Yeah. And they were they were fairly long-lived. They were survivors. Should we just have them both shift the places down a bit and just squeeze another, another woman in? Or do you think we need to be bold and make a decision? Well, 
remember we've got Nicola de la Haye sorting out provisions. So I think she'll be able to stretch the provisions enough to invite two more. The only trouble is I've just thought that's going to be, how many is that? That's going to be 13 of us, isn't it? That's a bit unlucky. Oh, yeah. Mm. We have a th- shall we have the 14th? We've got to invite another man then. <laughs> we could be, still be doing this at New Year. <laughs> we could. Um, know any other men? <laughs> Alfred the Great? Yeah, but his daughter's coming, isn't she? So that could be a bit awkward, do you think? Yeah. William Marshall? Now, actually, he, he would be... He, he's another popular man in the Middle Ages, and he would actually hold his own, I think. Being such a good diplomat, he would hold his own with any anybody wouldn't he that's an inspired one William Marshall I think I think that's I think that's it we found the solution yeah I think we found the solution exactly we put both Cecily Neville and Alice Chaucer in and uh we put William Marshall in to keep the peace because he was very good at that brilliant yeah and he was respected yeah. I mean he it, he wouldn't fall out with anybody yeah and he can sit with Nicola de la Haye and Eleanor of Aquitaine because he knew both them so he'd be happy to have to sit and chat to them too and he'd be a bit of a counterweight to the sort of heavyweights of uh, Henry V and uh, Robert the Bruce. Yeah, if Henry V started talking about Agincourt, then Marshall could say, well, Battle of Lincoln, you know. I think that's a pretty good list. We, Yeah, it's going to be a bit of a squeeze. Yeah. But um, they'll have to cosy up together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're going to order a bigger table. Yeah, we still need a bigger table. <laughs> Okay, so final list is Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, Matthew Paris, Benedictine monk and chronicler, Jane Shaw, everyone's friend. We'll have to get the picnic table out as well. <laughs> Steady. Robert the Bruce, not just a token Scot, but there in his own right. Uh, Nicola de Hay, yeah. because Sharon's not playing if she's not in. <laughs> What Tyler, because he's different from the rest. Eleanor of Aquitaine, because she's just got to be there, really. Yeah. She's been there and done everything. Henry V, uh, because he's Henry V. He could also be the token Welshman, couldn't he? Because he's Henry of Monmouth. That's true. Let's not go down the token route, otherwise we're going to be uh, we're going to be here a long time. Uh, Perkin Warbeck, yeah. because he might not be who he says he is, or he might. Yeah. <laughs> um, where are we? William Marshall, Cecily Neville, yeah, and Alice Chaucer. I think that's everybody. I think so. And and me and you. And, and me and you. I, I'm, I'm having second thoughts. I'm not doing all the washing up. You're coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we'll get we'll get Nicola de Hay to organise that. Well, what Tyler's the peasant, he'll have to do the washing oh, up. Oh, that's a bit unfair. Well, Perkin Warbeck, if he is a peasant, he can help as well. He could do the drying. <laughs> I think there's a bit of class distinction going on here. Yeah, I think I'm even more of a peasant than them, so I'd probably end up doing it all myself. Okay. How many did we get in the end? We have a dozen of them, don't we? Is that right? Yeah, a dozen and then 14 with me and you. So I think that will make for a very interesting dinner party. But I think I agree with you that we have to say, leave knives at the door. No weapons allowed. No armour. No. Helmets, everything else. Just for court. Yeah. Are they going to bring anything? Bottle of wine? They can bring a bottle of something. <laughs> bring something for the table. Yeah. But not a swan, really. I think, to be honest, all we want is Eleanor of Aquitaine to bring the wine, really, don't we? <laughs> yeah, OK. We'll, we'll, we'll make a side deal with her on the wine. And Jane Shaw, being from a Elizabeth Lambert, being from a, a merchant family, can probably do us a good deal on the on the food. I would think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I think that will make for a very interesting dinner. They'll never stop talking long enough to eat. I wouldn't have thought. <laughs> so we we are going to get with that lot. We are going to get a lot of answers to a lot of questions. Oh yes, definitely. But we're going to keep them to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> 
We don't want to spoil it for everybody else. No. Centuries of history, <laughs> mystery solved. That's been a lot of fun, though. I've enjoyed doing that. Yeah, I mean, when you think about these people and you try and look at them in a slightly different light of are you prepared to spend an evening with them? Yeah. Rather than uh, other things that they they are that they did or are alleged to have done. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's going to be uh, that's going to be an occasion. Um. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to... Who's going to pull a cracker with whom, I wonder? But let's not get into the seating plan, otherwise we are really going to be here all night. Yeah, that's true. Nobody's going to want to sit next to Wat Tyler for starters, so... No, no that's true. <laughs> yeah, it could be it could be a bit tricky. And everybody's going to watch what they say in front of Matthew Paris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are being recorded. Yep. I wonder if Ethelfled's going to feel a little bit out of it, because uh, she, she comes from a period a lot earlier than most of the others. Who are these guys? Yeah, but she has a martial background, so I think she'll get on well with William Marshall Henry, the, you know. Um, she'll be able to hold her own. Plus, she can always say, my dad's Alfred the Great, you know. Do you know who I am? Well, actually, Ethelfled, nobody did until recently, but now everybody knows who you are. No, that's right. Expunged from the record, really. No, that's true, actually. Yeah. So actually, yeah, none of these people would know who on earth Ethelfled was. Mm. Exactly. At all. Time they learned, I think. All right then. So we have our we have our dinner guests. That's been great. That's been great to do and very enjoyable. And um, I, I'm actually looking forward to having a chat with all of these very interesting people. Mm. If only. Well, we should thank people for their numerous suggestions. Numerous and in some cases humorous suggestions. Yes, thank you, everyone. Uh, we we hope that we've we've done them proud. We hope we've. Uh, We've covered some ground. We couldn't possibly deal with all of them, but hopefully we, we've covered enough to uh, to satisfy listeners. So we uh, we will be back again uh, in the new year, I think. Uh, I think it's New Year's weekend, isn't it? Yes, it is. We'll be back uh, at New Year with the next podcast, which will be about the last years of King John. Everyone knows about Magna Carta, but we're going to go a bit further than that and talk about the First Barons' War. Well, thank you very much for listening. Join us again in the new year. I've been Sharon Bennett Connolly. And I'm Derek Burks. And we'll see you again soon. Mm -hmm.